When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This week on Pod Like a Raven, episode 100 from the boys. We are excited to talk about all that we've accomplished in the years that it took to get to 100 episodes. We almost had another miracle game to celebrate in tandem with the century mark. Instead, we have a team trending in the wrong direction with Lamar Jackson potentially on the shelf. There's a lot to talk about this week. And we're going to start with happy thoughts here on Pod Like a Raven. 100 episodes. I'm excited about it. I'm excited to congratulate my two co-hosts. Oh, and then there's also a tough division loss to talk about. I'm Antonio Barbera, joined by my co-hosts starting first on the West Coast. Jace Evans. Jace, 100. 100. Did you ever see us get into this point? Uh, that's a great question, Antonio. I don't know, uh, in my wildest fantasies, if I envisioned a, a hundred episodes. No, it's very exciting, and thank you for, you know, to everyone who listens, and especially uh, all you who have listened to all a hundred episodes. I know there's a group of you out there, so it's much appreciated. And uh, I would say I'm doing well, Antonio, about as well, I think, as you can be following... Um, as you said, a division loss. Uh, I kind of had my emotional barriers up going into this game. So uh, as the Ravens did what the Ravens do, which is nearly pull a game out of their butt for the millionth time. Um, and when it didn't happen, I wasn't as emotionally crushed as I was the week from, uh, before against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, so I'm doing well. I watched a lot of football <laughs> this weekend. Uh, some would say too much. Um, but yeah, had a good weekend, uh, all things considered. When Jace mentions those listeners who've been around for all 100 episodes, those are like the grandparents, the aunts and the uncles, the occasional friend. So yeah, we, we do thank all the listeners, but but especially those in the early days of, of WMUC doing uh, Ravens wrap-up in, in the early days of, of our Ravens talk experience. On the East Coast, Tim Horsey. Tim, we have time to get to the game, but for now, the century mark, 100 episodes. How do you feel about it? I don't know. Like, I, I want to be happy about it. And again, you know, you guys have echoed, obviously, the support that we get from um, from the listeners who contribute and listen to the program, follow us back on, on Twitter and Instagram, write messages to us, uh, you know, con feedback, all that stuff is always appreciated. But um, we just lost to Cleveland and the season's over. So I'm having... <laughs> 
I'm having a tough time being positive. I'm sorry. Uh, Jace was surprisingly positive, I would say, in his little open. But yeah, it it, it is cool. It is cool to reach that century mark. Uh, something that we, we were sitting on a uh, on a rooftop when Antonio brought this idea of, hey, let's bring this thing back. Let's do this again. And to think that we're already at a hundred, and we've you know we've joined fan sided. We're getting bigger and bigger every day. Uh, like, subscribe, share. Please tell your friends. About Pod Like a Raven. I told multiple people this weekend, by the way. Uh, shameless plugging myself up and down the East Coast about a, a podcast that maybe you should listen to because four other people enjoy it. Uh, so that that is good. And I will try and remain positive about that. But yeah, let's just get to the game and um, talk about, you know, should we start ra- doing draft rankings? Because <laughs> the season's over, guys. The season is over. Uh, well, yeah, let's get to the game. Let's start with the game, Tim, and then and then we can focus on uh, where where we think this team is is positioned because uh, some things happened the, the end result is a 24 to 22 loss uh the the process was two extremely different halves of football a lot of different thoughts of where this game could go where this team could go personnel wise um it's t- it's tough to recap but we'll start <laughs> with the first half where the Ravens' offense scored six points and had two first downs on their first six drives, uh, are able to then get a field goal before halftime. They had five first downs total in the first half, and that is because of two reasons. Is that good? Number one, <laughs> the Ravens' offense has struggled all year, and then specifically in the first half. And number two is that uh, our Lord and Savior Lamar Jackson was injured uh, right at the end of the first quarter, start of the second quarter of this game. And we had just a lot of negative emotions uh, with Tyler Huntley having to come in. I want to get, let's stop there because there are things to digest in this game. But let's start there with the offense in the first half with Lamar Jackson going down. Guys, they didn't look great when he was out there. So you, we can't, unfortunately, we can't really attribute this to you know, things were looking good until Lamar Jackson got hurt. The offense stunk in the first half, and they were not able to replicate or to fix a lot of the issues that have plagued them all season. What is what is wrong with this offense, especially early? Well, I'm glad you, you brought this up, Antonio, because I do think this was getting lost in, obviously, the big story of this game is Lamar Jackson gets hurt. But yeah, they were awful in the first quarter, and he played the whole thing. <laughs> and uh, that was just so discouraging for, you know, all the reasons we talked about. You know, we've gotten on this program and talked about how this team hasn't scored 20 points in a month, and it just looked like more of the same. They did try, I guess, a little more of an up-tempo approach, but it was just so awful. They had 27 yards of total offense in the first quarter. They have not scored a touchdown in the first quarter since October 17th. Um it is now December 13th, as we record this, December 12th when the game was played. That's basically two months without scoring in the first quarter. It was just it was just so indicative of like what we've seen, and that just made me so like so frustrated, so upsetting. It, you know, they get immediately get a first down uh, on their first play of the game. It looks great. You're like, Brown's gonna three and out. You're I'm feeling good. I'm like, wow, pass to Hollywood on the first play for a first down. What a day. And then they they proceed to go uh, three and out from there. So four and out uh, with just an awful play on third down. Uh, a QB draw on third and five where Lamar gains one yard. That's tough. 
And then the second series, I about had a brain aneurysm when they broke the huddle late on a third and nine. Um, did not get set up in time because they broke the huddle so late. James Prochet could not get set up. They, so they get an illegal shift, and Lamar, uh, he, he runs for four yards on third and nine, and they punt uh, as the Browns declined the illegal shift. I was it, That play alone just was like every the, the microcosm of every single thing we've complained about with this Ravens offense for like a month and a half, and uh, I almost blew a gasket. Um, <laughs> I was so frustrated. So I am glad you brought it up because as di- it's obviously not good. Lamar Jackson is hurt, right? But... It was also very disappointing the early returns with him. Like they were they were on a on a path to getting run out of the building with Lamar Jackson, and that's very disappointing. Uh, yeah, remember all the questions midweek about up tempo, and then they do like the up tempo thing to start the game, and then Greg Roman immediately goes away from it because he's a coward. Um, this is his final season in Baltimore. I'm sorry. Uh, th- this this whole. This whole narrative of, well, he has built the, – the Ravens have built this organization for Lamar Jackson. Look at how they have turned everything around. They bring in offensive whiz Greg Roman to, to change the running game. And all of that looked fine. Obviously, this year, injuries plenty. I mean, Lamar going down, and, and we'll talk about Huntley later. It's just like a – I just started laughing. I was just like, the, you, you can't be serious. But, all right, the – Whatever God John Harbaugh pissed off, whether it was Norse, Greek, Catholic, whichever one it was, I don't know who I don't know who he's cashing checks to or the IOUs finally came due, whatever it is, but there's some sort of sorcery going on with the, the injuries his team has faced this year. But then we get to the same thing as last week. I mean, I could, if if I wasn't a lazy producer and felt like editing this in, I could do this and just say Last week, my whole thing about the the jazz, the rhythm of an offense that just wasn't moving. You can't tap your toe to it. It's disjointed. It's constantly in second and long, third and long. There's mistakes pre-snap all over the place. And smarter people than us have constantly said there's some things in the creative in the run game, but Greg Roman cannot, cannot put together a passing offense. It's middle school level stuff, high school level stuff in terms of the passing concepts. And it has to change. I, I think, I think you know, the Ravens are a very loyal organization when it comes to their guys. And frankly, that helps them out rather than hurts them. You can't be overreactive. We see in the, in the league that just doesn't work. And that's why franchises like the Patriots and, and the Steelers and the Ravens are consistently good year in and year out. But it almost comes down to something as simple as you can't change 11, so you might as change the one. And Greg Roman has – I'm not trying to be a hot take artist here, but something has to change because the thing has been broken for the last month, month and a half or so, and there have been no fixes or no attempts at any fix. And at some point – at some point you can't just go, oh, well, there's so many injuries. It, it, I mean – it looked like Jason and I were out there running the offense. And no offense to Jason and I, but neither of us are the most athletically gifted people in the world. And it, it just, it looked horrendous. And, and the only thing I can think to do if you really want to shake something up is bring somebody else in. And, you know, Lamar's not a young guy anymore. He, we believe in him to adapt to a new offense if he needs to. And I think that's what has to happen in the offseason. We can continue. I do want to continue this offensive conversation uh, because certainly the, the script is flipped a little bit in the second half. And the script is flipped in the second half 
by necessity, basically. All of a sudden you have to go, and we've talked about this in other weeks, where <laughs> all of a sudden when they're behind, they have to play faster and looser, and all of a sudden they're getting first downs and, and scoring touchdowns. But I want to talk about the defense a little bit, because we, we got to the weekend knowing it was going to be a struggle defensively with Humphrey out for the season. And then we woke up to Jimmy Smith also being out, um, being with his fiance for the wife of their child. So congratulations to you guys. Uh, if only you could have made this work, you know, a day or two uh, in either direction, and then we could have maybe had you on the field. But the secondary ends up being, uh, it's it's Brandon Stevens is out there. It's Chris Westry uh, is out there. Averett, Averett getting, I think he's like the number one corner at this point uh, on the team. Uh, it's other dudes whose name I think I may have mispronounced last week. I don't know if it's Kevin Seymour or Kevon Seymour. He's he's in the in the depth chart in the in the secondary. So we had some concerns uh, defensively, and early in the game those concerns were realized with the Browns marching up and down the field, uh, scoring 17 points on three scoring drives. They're up a lot in this game especially at halftime after the uh, the Huntley fumble that was returned for a touchdown. But then in the second half, I, I'll frame it this way to you guys. It's a shutout pitched by this Ravens defense in the situations where they absolutely had to stand up if the Ravens are going to come back in this game. They do get a little bit of help with a missed field goal. But I ask you guys, in the second half, uh, did the Ravens' defense stand up, or did the Browns' offense just stop playing? Because it looked like maybe a little bit of both here. But I want to give credit, if some credit has to go to the Ravens' defense, I want to place it there. But I'm curious as to your guys' thoughts on uh, on whether this was just the Browns' game management and just another situation of the Browns' Brownsing. I, I think you're right. It's a little column A, column B. Um, I was definitely impressed, I think, on the whole... Uh, with the Ravens. You also, um, we have to mention, Calais Campbell gets hurt in this game very early. Thigh injury, uh, plays about six snaps, I think, on defense. Um, He was out there for a few special teams plays throughout the day, I guess, just to be a big body. So I I guess it's just kind of the the plant and power kind of thing. So that's a problem. Calais Campbell, probably our best defensive player at this point with uh, all the injuries sustained. Um, Certainly one of them. Uh, So to do that without him was really impressive. Um, But to your point, I do think the Browns (laughs) get... I'm fascinated by the Browns because they they seem like they should be built to just dominate a game in which they're up 24 to 6. They have Nick Chubb, who, in my view, with Derrick Henry injured, is probably the best running back in the NFL um, but to the Ravens' credit, they you know they did a really good job on Chubb. Um, Jeff Zarebic pointed out uh, th- they held the Browns to about 3.3 yards per carry um, on the ground, and Chubb's two worst games this season uh, have come against the Ravens. So they clearly <laughs> figured something out that we're not going to let Nick Chubb beat us. Um, but to the, that being said, you know he, he did have 17 carries, which kind of surprised me. I didn't think he got the ball that much. But it still seems like if you're the Browns and you have a good offensive line, you have a great running back, you should just be able to just give him the ball and run the clock out, basically. Uh, and they just time after time, we saw this against the Vikings. They you know they scored 14 points and never scored again. They 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 do this where they just don't score in the second half and fourth quarter. I I, I saw an incredible stat. 
um, that they basically have scored like seven points in like the fourth quarter of like their last like six games or something. Like they just don't score late, and it just seems wrong for how they're 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 a team built for the inverse of that. And they don't achieve it, so <laughs> I have to place a little blame for what happened in the second half, certainly on the Browns and. Baker, uh, we've talked about Baker Mayfield a lot on this show. He cooled off significantly. At one point, he was like 12 for 14 in the first half. Uh, he, they they made him look like Joe Montana back there, and then it just wasn't in the second half. So I definitely think the Browns are a little to blame, but I, I think given the injuries and just how shorthanded this Ravens team are, I think you have to be impressed with how they played on defense in this game overall. Uh, yeah, especially when you're playing against um, about 15 players because this is not going to be – you know, and we've said this many a time on Pod Like Raven. The result, they lost this game because they lost this game. It is not down to the referees, but some of the, some of the, I was bullied in high school, so I want to show mom I'm on TV now S is frankly ridiculous. And the, the state of refereeing in the National Football League for both sides, I'll say it, for both sides, um, is at an all time low. And it is despicable how some of these guys still have jobs. The Chris Westry. Pass interference to start the game when Baker underthrows Jarvis Landry by about 15 yards. Westry turns around, makes a play for the ball, and gets tackled by Landry. And they call <laughs> pass interference on Westry. Then there's the one where it's Westry again, the poor guy who I thought was okay in this game. There's another throw, and I can't remember the receiver. It's not Peoples Jones, it was a different receiver. Makes a really nice catch on the sideline. West, it's a good throw by Baker Mayfield. You'll never hear me say that again. <laughs> Westry's playing defense. He's all over him like white on rice. He's, he's as good a, in position as you can be. And the ref, as soon as the ball is caught, just throws the flag. Like immediately, like, a, you know, there's a mafioso boss in the back being like, we got to make sure the Browns win this game type of stuff. Like, it just, it was just... In, it was the one of the first times this season because this season has been so up and down and tumultuous. And and you know if if, if anybody listening has watched a game with me, I'm all over the place. I'm pacing. I'm screaming. I'm, I'm staring. I'm brooding. There's the, the the roller coaster of emotions is frankly ridiculous for a man who's about to be 30 years old. But there were this is the first time where I'm screaming at the TV because just the pure incompetence of the referees. Rashad Bateman got a ticky-tack pass interference in the third quarter, and then when he actually pushed off, there was nothing there. It's just, it, it makes no sense. So I just want to throw it out there because it needs to be covered. I'm not ever going to sit here and say, you know, I'm, I'm not 12 anymore. I'm not going to sit here and say that the refs blew the game and there's a big conspiracy or that's the reason they lost, what have you, uh, you know, even though that field goal early and it was a two-point game. But let's get off of that, Tim. I, overall, I thought the defense did play pretty well. I thought Brandon Stevens showed up a little bit. Um, his tackling has been an issue in the past. He made some pretty uh, pretty good plays. Should have should have caught the interception that was right in his hands. But you know that's why you play defense. That's why he was a running back that transitioned to defensive back in college. <laughs> I bet. Um, and without some of those guys, I think it is encouraging what you see on the defensive side of the ball from. I want to say younger players. And then you look at the stat line and Josh Bynes has six tackles, but <laughs> without foundational pieces, let's put it this way without foundational pieces. There are guys there who can make an impact. I think Justin Matabuke is going to be a starter on this team for the next five years. Um, he's going to be the guy go till go till his rookie deals up and then he'll leave for big money somewhere else. I'm calling it Atlanta. Roll this back, you know, in, in four or five years. And kind of underperformed i thought broderick washington in the middle was okay adafi owe continues to get pressure when needed 
I think Anthony Averett is the most over-criticized player on this Ravens team. I don't, I don't get it. I, yes, he's gotten picked on sometimes, but what they've thrown him into, he gets his, the first interception for the Ravens since October. I think he's been okay to the point where, you know, good on him. I hope he's a free agent this year. I hope he makes money somewhere else because the Ravens aren't going to pay him what somebody else will because um, I'll just try and look at the stats and see a guy that's probably going to be overvalued in free agency. But I think he's been okay. Um, so yeah, overall defense played well. Anytime. I mean, Jace mentioned it. Anytime you can hold Nick Chubb to 17 carries 59 yards, um, in a game that they're leading by the way, and they need to rely on that running back, um, is a good day. And the Ravens did the same thing. They were like, all right, even though Baker was dominant early on, uh, and again, got massively helped by the referees with some just incredibly bad, uh, pass interference calls. They still went, he's going to have to beat us in the second half. And guess what? He can't do it because he's not good enough. And they almost got away with it. And unfortunately, they did not. But yeah, long rant over. Refs suck. Defense was pretty good. <laughs> Tim, it's a good point, though, to address the, how the penalties that were impacting the flow of the game. In, it's in just the insane. second half, it's just insane. the Ravens defensively were, did not commit the big penalty on a bunch of drives and it was the Browns offensively they had multiple holdings in the second half that put the Browns back you know they obviously put them into like first and 20s or second and 20s and it forced punts and a lot of possessions and the Browns weren't able to do anything and that's that's one way to get to suddenly have your defense hold up in the second half is eliminate your own penalties and let the Browns shoot themselves in the foot or at least let the Browns wait for the refs to start making extra calls that they hadn't made in the first half. Uh, I agree with, uh, with the point about Averett as well. He sort of struggled with, uh, like death of a, by a thousand cuts kind of situation where as soon as Peters is out and it's him and Humphrey, obviously the throws are going to go to him a lot. And if you make three good plays and then give up three catches, it's going to look bad on the box score and you're going to get a lot of criticism, but he has played well. Uh, given the situation, and he's one of the few defenders on this team that can actually catch a football, which we saw <laughs> at some point in this game would have been nice if uh, Stevens could have had that interception in the second half on the tip ball that was dropped not once but twice. But I digress. I'm going to move forward. Offensively, meanwhile, we have halftime. It's 24-6. to six. Uh, All is lost. <laughs> they may not score a touchdown all game. I don't know what. Huntley... We may need Sam Cook to come in here and throw a few balls. They showed him warming up on the sidelines at a certain point as he was, at that point, the backup quarterback. Um, but instead, coming out in the second half, life from Huntley, life from this offense, because, of course, when they're down by a lot, all of a sudden they have to open things up, they have to move with tempo, and things start happening. They have a really strong drive at the start of the second half that, of course, then leads in the red zone to another... Huntley fumble where he just cannot the the clock just does not tick as fast in his head when he rolls out of the pocket he almost always holds on to the ball too long when he's rolling out and then of course he gets hit from behind and fumbles to end that drive but then after that they get the ball back and they have a nine play drive for a field goal they have a seven play drive for a touchdown they do have a three and out then they get the ball again 14 plays and a touchdown it's 24 22 the text thread is starting to erupt the only thing left to do is recover an onside kick. The Ravens haven't done that in 20 years. The Ravens recover an onside kick easily. 
where Tucker, I hope this was intentional, that Tucker just bangs the ball right off of the Browns' up man, who is designed on that play to block and let the ball go past him, doesn't look at the ball, doesn't get out of the way, bounces right <laughs> off him, the Ravens recover, they have a chance to kick a field goal and win this game, and then they struggle, they get sacked, it gets into a third and 20, which then becomes a fourth and six, I believe, and Huntley throws the one-yard slant to Rashad Bateman <laughs> on fourth and six. He's promptly tackled. I, I, I'm, I don't mean to make too much fun. He, after the game, said it was a blitz. Uh, that was the hot read, so I threw it, and I was, you know, you're hoping that the guy is either open or shakes free. He did not, and the game ends 24-22. Guys, walk us through that second half offensively what happened how why is it so easy when they're down to score points as opposed to in normal situations and they can take leads in games and score touchdowns in first quarters what happened in the second half where all of a sudden the first downs are there and the points are there well i'll say little column a little column b like jace opened the last section with um i think it is human nature to when you have a big lead, maybe not have your foot on the gas every single time as a defensive player. And we see this all the time in the NFL, making it easier for teams to come back. Um, I think there's so with that too, maybe it's some scheme stuff as well, where you're not sending as many pass rushers or whatever. And you're kind of sitting back. Maybe you think Huntley can't pick apart his zone, and you, you sit guys back and you're able to, matriculate the ball down the field if you're the Ravens offense we talked about you know this is both sides of the coin for this game it helps that the Ravens defense showed out in the second half and gave the offense more opportunities and overall and I want to talk about some of the guys you know individually um, I thought Rashad Bateman has shown that he is he is a legit NFL receiver um, and Hollywood is too and now they have two with Mark Andrews and it and it makes me smile. You know, the, the fourth down aside, Huntley has to throw that ball. He's getting blitzed. The tackles don't pick up the the free inside rusher, uh, you don't say. And <laughs> yeah, the the offensive tackles have been atrocious. And the fact that we're like begging for Patrick McCarry and a very, very injured Juwan James to come back shows you where the offensive line is at. And and again, is why I will reiterate, loyal Ravens fan, do not get mad at me. The season is over. It's fine. It's just the season is over. It's okay. Enjoy it while you can. We're going to miss our boys in purple uh, when, the, when they miss the playoffs or get knocked out in the wild card or whatever it is. The season is over. Just accept that fate now and join me in sweet, sweet misery. Um, but, but the overall, the, the bigger point here with the second half offense is I think they found their backup quarterback. Um, I think Tyler Huntley is on the, and not to just make the comparison because their play styles are similar, but it reminds me of the Tyrod Taylor track where he was nothing but a backup in Baltimore, nothing but a backup in Baltimore, nothing but a backup in Baltimore, and then now has gotten opportunities to start football games for a load of teams. You know, the Bills lead them to the playoffs, uh, I believe. The Chargers is, was there as well before he got stabbed in the heart by their own team doctor, <laughs> or the lung, or whatever it is. Uh, now, with the Texans getting up, or was getting opportunities uh, for the Texans, and we'll talk about that tire fire later in the show, but... I think Huntley is kind of on that track where I think he's a good, he is a good backup quarterback in the National Football League who might be reaching that level of potential starter for a bad team um, and maybe with some progression even better than that. And hopefully, you know, it probably won't be in Baltimore, but maybe somewhere down the line he gets that opportunity because I think 
he has shown that he's good enough. Yeah, I, I, I was very impressed with him. I think you have to admire what he did. Obviously, um, the mistakes were terrible. Yeah, the mistakes and, were and that, horrendous. But I think speaks to to him being a backup. Um, I do think you know he he's at least shown flashes that he he's a gamer. He's a fighter. Uh, certainly, um, even in the face of his mistakes, he doesn't he didn't crawl into a ball in this game. Certainly. Um, but uh, we, we remarked when we, we played the Bears when there were a few strip sacks that ended up not costing uh, them. They proved costly in this game. And as you mentioned so well, Tim, the tackles are a big problem for this Ravens team. Um, and, uh, you know, as Antonio, you outlined, kind of what ultimately lost the game when uh, Jadavion Clowney just destroys Tyree Phillips on second down. But... Uh, at least as far as Huntley goes, yeah, I, I think those mistakes, while pivotal and ultimately, you know, you directly give them seven points, you cost at least three points uh, down in the shadow of the goal line, if not more. Um, in a game you lose by two, that certainly proves consequential uh, to, to have at least a ten-point swing there. But, you know, mistakes aside, I thought he battled really well, and, like, ball security might just be a problem with him, but that's why he was an undrafted player who was a, a backup. Like, I think for what he was asked to do in this game, I think you can't be anything but impressed with him. Um, as far as how he fits into the Ravens' offense as a whole uh, and just the Ravens' offense in general, I do feel like the Ravens' offense is like that. I don't know if you have guys seen that meme where it's the mom, their mom and the kid in the car, and she, like is yelling at him, why can't you be normal? And the kid's just screaming, ah! That's how I feel the, the Ravens' offense is. It's like, why can't you be normal? Why can't we just score a touchdown in the first half? Why do we need to go down 17 to nothing, 21-point deficit, 24-3 uh, to 3 at one point, before everything, they start rolling? Because in the second half, this was as good as the Ravens' offense has looked in a month. <laughs> well, over a month. Um, and I, I, I guess it's just, as you kind of mentioned, Tim, I don't know if it's just teams, you know, uh, prevent defense prevents you from winning the game, or if it's just like, you know, uh, the Ravens are just forced to simplify everything. They're not overthinking. They're just like, we have to work fast. We have to be efficient. We have to, you know rely on the pass but like let's not get over complicated let's just move the sticks because they looked really good in the second half and as you mentioned Rashad Bateman is awesome he needs to be more involved that has obviously been uh, a point we've kind of complained about on this show um in recent weeks when he was you know getting uh one target for no catches against the Pittsburgh Steelers uh and then he he goes off for over 100 yards in this game um and then Mark Andrews uh, has probably been the Ravens' offensive MVP as Lamar's kind of stuttered out, uh, um, sputtered out the last few weeks. Um, certainly him or Lamar. He was awesome. And now, shout out Mark Andrews. He is the Ravens' all-time uh, single-season leader for career uh, – uh, or not career, for single-season reception yards by tight end, breaking Todd Heap's record. Um, so shout out to him. He's going to shatter that mark considering they're still – weeks to go in, the, in this regular season but uh yeah i i don't know why we can't just operate normally why the ravens uh perform at their best when the chips are down when they absolutely when their backs are against the wall we saw it in pittsburgh best drive of the day was when they needed a touchdown late it's very frustrating and i wish they could just start on time and take that energy that they have in these comebacks and just not need the comeback. If you just play that way the whole game, 
everything will be okay. You'll beat the Browns by 10 points and everything will be fine. But yeah, on the whole, I can't, I can't say I, I fault Tyler Huntley, obviously for the loss, even if those points proved critical of any kind of game away. But uh, I actually wrote down, I'll hand up when he fumbled uh, to come out of the, the, the second half uh, on that drive. I wrote that it was the dagger uh, in this game. I did not, I dared to believe and. uh, I thought that was the dagger, but he proved me wrong. And as Mark Andrews kind of said, I thought he put it well after the game. Um, we fought to the very end. There's a lot of teams that would have given up in that situation. And I speak that. I think that speaks to John Harbaugh. As many complaints as we've had against Greg Roman, I still believe overall in Harbaugh, obviously, uh, in his you know direction of the team and just stewardship of the team, especially in this hard season. It stunk. It's it, it stung at the end, uh, but I, I was very impressed with how they fought, and I think that's what ultimately has left me not as devastated, certainly as I was this time last week as we talked about losing to the Steelers. <laughs> Huntley finishes 27 of 38 for 270 yards and a touchdown. No interceptions, but of course the two fumbles. I, I, I'm, There's so much good, and then there's so much bad with this performance, which I guess is the definition of, of having a backup quarterback in, but he made some big throws uh, that I did not expect. The hmm. The deep ball to Bateman is on fourth down. It's like fourth and five or fourth and six, and he sees the single coverage and trusts a rookie receiver and throws a dime. And that's not something a lot of backup quarterbacks would even try to do because of the fear of just trying to manage whatever the situation is, like a fourth and six, got to get six yards and look a force you know force feed the the route that i'm supposed to go to that's maybe a safer play here the running six carries for 45 yards he broke ankles all over the field in situations where his offensive line was quite literally pulverized within three seconds and he avoided (laughs) like not one not two but seven different browns to turn a second and 20 into third and four or something like that did that multiple times did not seem like when they were down big, even after the fumble, Jace, at the start of the second half, he didn't come out and then try to, and we've talked about this with Lamar Jackson, he didn't come out and immediately try to get the 12-point play, the 12-point touchdown play in one yard. He, I, I suppose you could have to give the coaching a little bit of credit or give him the credit too, but he seemed aware that there was plenty of time, they were going to have enough possessions to try to come back in this game, and they just took little by little and chipped away and almost came all the way back. Um, we have a couple of other things to talk about here, and I'm gonna save the I'm gonna save the two point conversion talk for the end of, of this Ravens recap. So I I want to talk, guys. Anything else for Huntley that you want to note? Lamar Jackson in this game out after four passes. We weren't sure what had happened with him. How severe the injury was. It looked. It looked both innocuous and season-ending somehow at the same time, depending on what had happened to him. Apparently, it's uh, an ankle sprain. We're still determining how high up the ankle it is. If it's a low ankle sprain, a high ankle sprain, obviously, for for those of you who are not familiar, basically, the higher you go, the worse of an injury it is. And the high ankle sprain is going to mean weeks to months out, especially for that type of player, whereas a low ankle sprain... Uh, you can come back that same week. So 
thoughts on guys the the quarterback room basically as it stands now moving forward based on what you've seen from Huntley and uh, what we hope to to know that Lamar Jackson's injury is is not as as maybe as bad as we might have feared. Well, we'll talk about it more in the preview, but you know, I if we had the stretch of games that we had last year at the end of the season where they were must wins, but it was Giants, Jaguars, <laughs> you know, that whole you know, murderer's row, I would feel relatively competent with or confident, excuse me, with Tyler Huntley in there to maybe squeak out some ugly wins like they did against uh, the Bears. This is not that run. And, you know, for a team that you, if you're still trying to make the playoffs, still be in this uh, championship race, whatever, Lamar is going to have to come back, come back healthy and come back to the Lamar that we saw at the beginning of the year, at least in the second half, not the Lamar we've seen recently. Um, the only other thing I have on Huntley before we move on is he had a Chris Berman whoop run. Uh, I think it was like a third and 20 where he shook six guys generously, maybe seven. Um, it was probably the best. Lamar-esque play we've seen all year where, you know, even in his rookie year and the MVP season, it was like Lamar's putting guys on a highlight reel. The Kevin Harlan, he is Houdini against Cincinnati uh, in 2019, the first season we did Pilot like a Raven. Huntley had the best one this year in terms of the ankle-breaking run. And so that, that that's a fun memory I'll have from you know, losing to the Browns. <laughs> Yeah, I, as far as Huntley goes, I think Tim said it well. I, I'm very confident in him as a backup. That being said, uh, this team has been wholly reliant on Lamar Jackson, and I would love for him to certainly be back as soon as possible. Um, but I, I think this game was strangely valuable, at least for me, to kind of uh, give a snapshot of what's uh, wrong with the Ravens offense that isn't Lamar Jackson's fault. Uh, and I think that put in stark relief how bad this offensive line is um, to seeing a different quarterback back there. Um, and in some ways that makes me feel better about what Lamar has accomplished <laughs> uh, in the last few weeks. Cause this is, this might be as bad as the Ravens offensive line has, I don't know, ever been in our entire lives. It's, it's certainly on the short list. You consider the line had uh, at least Jonathan Ogden for 12 years of our lives, and you're like, well, that's a good starting point, and Marshall Yonda for the rest of it. So uh, it's dire, and um, that certainly concerns me, I think, regardless of who the quarterback is, is just I don't know that this line – like, what's going to change with this line? Patrick McCarry's on the sideline in a cast – as mentioned, Juwan James is attempting Juwan. to come back from, from an Achilles injury as a 300-plus-pound man, which is not an easy enterprise, I'm sure. Um, Ronnie Stanley's ankle is still in disarray, um, it seems. So, it's not good. Nick Boyle and Patrick Ricard were out for this game with injuries. The injuries, Tim said, you said it very well. When Lamar went down injured, I almost, like, I won't say I laughed, but I was just like, ah, yes, of course. This was like the natural endpoint of this season where every single person, uh, you know, fell off the ship or got injured. It's just like, it's crazy. I can't remember a season like this. So um, I certainly hope Lamar comes back sooner than later. But at least in the interim, I think at least Tyler Huntley is competent enough to mind the store if they have to lean on him for at least one more week. This game was as, in the end... 
heartbreaking uh, of a Ravens <laughs> loss as we've had all season, as we've had in the last, what, four weeks, last two weeks even. Uh, and so the game ends, and I'm a little bit, you know, you're sort of doing the thousand-mile stare at the television, hoping you could have fourth down back. And then they, uh, oh boy, I'm going to try, guys, I'm going to try to stay cool, calm, and collected here. But they go to the CBS studio for immediate post-game analysis about this crazy finish. And all the CBS experts who are Hall of Famers in the NFL, Super Bowl <laughs> winners, 40-year, if not more, 50-year NFL experts... All they want to talk about in this game was how the Ravens outthought themselves with two-point conversion attempts. And we have to talk about I, I, I Tim convinced me to tie. I didn't even want to talk about it because I was afraid I was going to get too steamed up. And then Tim said, <laughs> it's something, it's worth it, so let's we're going to do it. We're going to try to get through this here. The score was 24-9, to Cleveland. The Ravens scored a touchdown to make it 24-15. to that makes it a nine-point game. The Ravens go for two and fail. The The expert analyst room w- were all enraged and dumbfounded that the Ravens elected to go for two on that touchdown as opposed to kicking a field goal or an extra point, making it an eight-point game, and then going for two later in the game after you score your next touchdown. And I'm... Bill Cowher is one of the guys, uh, he's had a successful NFL career. He's one of the Hall of Famers I was talking about. He is essentially yelling at clouds (laughs) uh, about how using analytics is a mistake and, you know, don't talk to me about analytics. This was wrong and you're overthinking everything. Then I think Phil Simms was also like, I wish we had somebody who could explain to us after the fact, what the hell they were thinking. There's a press... Harbaugh's in a press conference post-game. Takes him 26 seconds to address why going for two earlier in the game gives you more time to adapt and adjust If based on this, what happens. If things go well, you now have eight minutes, and no, you just need seven points. If you fail, you now have eight minutes to know that you need nine points. Instead of waiting for when there's 10 seconds left in the game and failing a two-point conversion and all of a sudden the game is over and you have no time left to adjust and try to score again. That's all it is. And I was so annoyed that (laughs) what is basically the American pinnacle of post-game NFL conversation was led by this conversation and this lack of understanding of just basic football analysis they they were screaming about analytics and like sort of without saying it making fun of like the data teams and staffers that these got that the random nfl organizations have and i'm just it annoys me because it sort of is this like highbrow i used to play the game i used to coach the game so don't talk to me about like a guy with an Ivy League degree about how analytics are helpful for the game. It's just basic 
information. I don't like the thought of, like, I don't want to see data. I don't want to know things earlier than I have to in games. Let me just, like, ugh, tough it out. And when I feel like my team's going to get a two-point conversion, that's when I'll go for it. It was very annoying. I'm going to stop now. Somebody tell me, why is this, why are we still having these conversations? This is not, like, deep statistical analysis here. This is very simple stuff, and I'm very annoyed by it. And that was what's bothering Antonio uh, for, for this week of Pod Like a Raven. I'll hand up. I'll say, when this immediately happened, I immediately crawled into my old guy brain. Uh, and was like, I don't know if I like this. Now they have to... <laughs> now it's a two-score game. But you laid it out so well, Antonio. And the more I thought about it, uh, the more I agreed. Um, you... It makes so much sense what the Ravens did. Uh, <laughs> when, when you you know, we're a team that, like, A, is bad at two-point conversion attempts. We talked about this last week. Um, but, like, you need a two-point conversion attempt at some point. And you said it so well. Like, if, if the Ravens had kicked the field goal there uh, when they did, uh, or the extra point when they did, then they have to get a two-point conversion with 117 to go um, when Mark Andrews scores. And if they don't do it there, like the game's basically at the exact same place. Like you have to go for an an onside kick. Uh, So I I definitely um, came around on it. And I think the reason you just get it is you, you just get the, 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 these hall of famers who are so, you know, stayed in their thoughts on the game and don't like, I respect what they accomplished, but they don't stay up to date on like what is going on in the league today. Like if they if they if Bill Cowher was on top of how the NFL worked today, he'd still be a coach. He's not. <laughs> As you said, John Harbaugh uh has is the ultimate football guy. Like we we know how how old school football John Harbaugh is, but he, he, what's been so great to kind of witness as a fan in the second half of his career is how he has adapted to where the game's gone to and kind of put the Ravens, I think, on the cutting edge of many of these kind of statistical sort of decisions. And he just, the way Harbaugh outlined it, it like he, you said, it took 26 seconds to explain what the, these group of babbling Hall of Famers could not articulate. It took Harbaugh less than 30 seconds to, to get the point across uh, of why this was smart. And that's why he's a head coach. And they're just getting paid to analyze <laughs> on Sunday, once a week on Sundays. So, yeah, I, I don't know why. The, the whole pre- and post-game show thing is very strange. I'll admit, I didn't watch this. I'd already uh, flipped over to just what was going on and elsewhere in the NFL. But uh, we got to do something about these, these Hall of Famers. They're out of control, Antonio. No, we, here's the thing. We don't because the pre- and post-game shows have become irrelevant because we have so much other media to intake now. I can go to Twitter I can text my friends who are smarter about modern football than these idiots now. Um, it's not worth watching. I have Red Zone. I'm done with your opinions. Your opinions don't matter because you're old and antiquated. There's a reason Phil Sims got kicked out of the booth for Tony. I don't know, Jim Romo. Phil Sims got roasted and dragged on Twitter for years before CBS finally went, you know what? This guy was, he used to be part of our A team. He used to be up there with Nance. And guess what? He hasn't learned. And he was one of the guys making comments like, quote, and this is from Sarah Ellison, who tweeted the, uh, who covers the Ravens. She tweeted out the video and, and this quote, which I love, quote, we don't put that into the analytics. I don't think. 
I don't know. I don't care. End quote from one of the guys during this discussion. It doesn't matter. These the only reason these shows get ratings is become they are on before and right after the football game that everybody's here to watch. Here's a word of advice. Don't watch them. Listen to Pod Like a Raven. Listen to Warren Sharp. Listen to you know, we just put them in the same bracket. Listen <laughs> in that to order. smart in, in that order, definitely. Listen to smart football people who actually pay attention and aren't just getting a paycheck because they used to be in the league. They're useless. They don't make any sense. And this is the kid this is the kid hand up who starting at 10 a.m. would turn on ESPN Sunday NFL countdown as a kid and watch that all the way up to one o'clock because I was obsessed and I wanted it every little bit of it. Now I can't stand it. I'm and I'm Football obsessed on Sundays. Anybody who knows me knows don't plan anything with Tim on Sunday unless you're coming over to eat buffalo chicken dip and watch the game. That's all we're doing for seven hours of commercial free football. God bless you, Scott Hansen. But that's all, that's all we're doing. And I want nothing to do with these these halftime shows, these these post game shows, these pregame shows, because they're frankly for the dullards. They're for the birds, and they they're only on because of a tradition now. And and that should kind of be the end of it. I was hoping. Tim, it could be better. It could be so much better. Even it's not. It's not going to be. It's like the, it's like the Raven season. It's over. It's not going to be better. It's fine. I was. They they were going around the horn, and then it's like it's okay. Nate Burleson is there. He's at least another generation. Like he's like I don't know, twenty years, thirty years younger than most of the guys on that show. He'll he'll jump in and he'll address how maybe this makes sense. And even he didn't. He agreed with the. Uh, I don't know, maybe he didn't want to call him out or anything, but he agreed with them. And he was like, nah, you know, the, the, they point to the computer models and say, don't worry about it. It's just so, it's so frustrating. It could be, it could be so much better. And I had to deal with that after a loss. I just had to stare at it and take it because I don't have red zone, guys. So I, I, get red zone, Antonio. Just get red zone, buddy. Jeez. Uh, all right, that's it for this game. The Ravens, boy, in the weirdest, oddest, toughest season, find yet another different way to... Uh, pull our heart out and they lose by two uh in cleveland however i'm not gonna go as far as tim to say that the season is over only because seemingly nobody else in the afc north wants to win football games either because placed with this awesome opportunity in front of them the Bengals could win at home and take first place in the afc north and yet they also lose to the san francisco 49ers in a game where, boy, they were down two touchdowns, they come all the way back, the game goes into overtime, you talk about momentum, the, the momentum was unstoppable when we're talking about old school football guys talking. Unbelievable momentum in Cincinnati with the Bengals scoring two touchdowns, going into overtime, kicking a field goal in the first possession in overtime, and then the 49, I believe it was the first possession, at least in overtime, and then the 49ers get the ball, march right down the field, score a touchdown, and win 26-23. The Bengals now 7-6, and six, still one game behind the Ravens in the AFC North. <laughs> the Steelers, that this is a little bit old now, but the Steelers losing another just ridiculous game on Thursday night uh, in a matchup with the Vikings where they were down... 29? I, I, I'm trying. This is my memory now because I watched every minute of that game because it was high entertainment. The Steelers down 29, and then they come all, almost all the way back. They make it a one-possession game and end up losing. So at the moment, the Ravens are first place in the AFC North at 8-5. and five. The Browns and the Bengals are 7-6. and six. 
and the Steelers are 6-6-1. Six, six, and one. Guys, how much of the Steelers and Bengals games did you guys catch over the past week, and what are your overall thoughts on whatever this AFC North is? Uh, I watched way more of these games than I probably should have. I gotta say, it is excruciating to have to pull for a Kyle Shanahan team. Watching this team just throw away a 14-point lead in the fourth quarter, uh, it... It was just horrible. And then for the Bengals, I think, you know, bringing up analytics again, they should have gone for two to end the win. They score with a minute 19 to go. Uh, incredible play. Tim, you've been all over this. Joe Burrow free, is freaking awesome, and it's so annoying. He's He's got moxie. He's like, he's the dude, and that's going to be frustrating to deal with. He he has everything Baker Mayfield doesn't have in a QB because he makes mistakes. No, Joe Burrow's there are more interceptions than any player in the league this year. But he's like Brett Favre in some ways in that, like, he's slinging it all over the place. He had just some insane throws in in the fourth quarter for the Bengals to rally them back. And then Zach Taylor plays for overtime, and the Bengals defense, as you laid out, Antonio Wiltz. George Kittle was awesome in this game. He is a tank. Oh. I love George Kittle. He's, I love George about Kittle. George, yeah, it's... Uh, He's like the ideal football player, just a tight end with a horrible haircut and just dragging guys all over the field. Mean blocker. He he was a, he was an absolute loves tank. Halo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> loves video games. Uh, what's there not to love? But I, it was a real missed opportunity for the Bengals because um, I mean the Niners seemed like they had him dead. The Bengals were horrible all day, and then for them to 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 stage this comeback and then not win the game, it, it's just really disappointing. I and I think if you're the Bengals, you should have. Um, tried to be more aggressive, but you know, they blew a overtime game to the Packers too. So if somehow the Ravens win this division at the end of the year, I think the Bengals are going to be the team that's kicking themselves the most. Cause they've had some, some really prime opportunities. As for the Steelers, uh, this, we should have probably, you know, we talked about how bad the Ravens offensive line is a little bit. Uh, this should have kind of probably keyed me into or keyed us in, uh, but me specifically, just how bad the Ravens' offensive line is when they went to uh, Minnesota and got just decimated by Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook became the first player this season to rush for over 200 yards in a game against the Steelers after the Ravens could do absolutely nothing. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings, who don't have like a great offensive line, uh, dominated the Steelers in this game to the point where Mike Tomlin said both his offensive and defensive lines were JV level in this game. Uh, <laughs> that did not make me feel better about the Ravens when they, you know, got like none sacks of Ben Roethlisberger and could not run on the team. Um, but yeah, that was weird. You know, you mentioned 29, nothing, and then they come roaring back. It was, it was a microcosm of the Viking season as well as what the Steelers have been up to, uh, this year. I mean, if the Vikings blow that game, um, I think you have to fire Mike Zimmer that night. <laughs> you, you lose to the Vikings and then respond by, if they had blown it, 29, it would have been the greatest regular season comeback in NFL history. The Steelers nearly forced overtime. So they were they were very close to, I think, doing it. You know, Pat Fryerberg gets the ball knocked away in the end zone on the final play. The final play because Chase Claypool wasted several seconds, and that was a, a big talking point in Steeler Nation this week. They seem to have, with Juju Smith-Schuster injured, uh, Claypool has uh, become the new source of uh, TikTok related ire and 
uh, of that fan base. And I love to see that. That was beautiful. Them turning against another talented wide receiver. Yeah. These are things you love to see. So things are not great for the Steelers. Of course, TJ Watt, the only game he's played in like a month was against the Ravens when he had three and a half sacks uh, after he goes out injured <laughs> with a groin injury against the Vikings. But, you know, I'm never going to be upset that the Steelers lose, although them coming back was very nearly impressive, I will say. Let, let's let's hear one more year for Big Ben, huh? Let's keep him around. Let's do it. He was slinging it out there, looking like uh, the, the Roethlisberger of old. Um, I watched a very little bit of that game. Did not watch the end. Um, turn, I think it turned it off at halftime. I had an early shift on Friday. I just said, oh, whatever. I, it was 23 it nothing over. at halftime, so you had reason. And it was 23 nothing at halftime. I had reason. Um, and then hearing that Chase Claypool just screwed it up because that guy loves talking S like he's Randy Moss, and he's not. He's just not, and he's going to ruin that franchise in crucial moments, and I am here for it. Um, before this, and I think we talked about this on the last pod, like Raven, he's also like, oh, we should have music at practice. And Mike Tomlin goes, uh, I'm going to coach. You play receiver. So clearly he's a fan of this guy that they drafted out of Notre Dame. So that's great. Um, the overall, I mean, you nailed the Bengals thing. I don't need to retread on what Chase said because he nailed it. But I think the overall point is the AFC North stinks. This is a This is a division that is usually... You know, look how strong it is. It's the Steelers. The Browns are up and coming. Poor Bengals and the Ravens. Everybody's there. They're battling each other. Everything is close. This year, the same holds true. Everything is close, but all the teams are bad and or wildly inconsistent and or just completely, utterly injured and poorly coached on offense, Greg Roman. Um, and that's be- and that has led to this conglomerate of a mess of a division. Someone's going to win it. No one's going to go far in the playoffs. And... um yeah, it's going to be a rock fight through week 18. So we'll just have to see how that, you know, ends up. Uh, I was going to pull up the schedules. The Bengals, and I, it might be all three teams, but I think the Bengals and the Browns still have the Chiefs on the schedule as well, which I think at this point all of us would almost guarantee as losses for both of those teams based on how the Chiefs are playing. So it is going to come down to, even if the Ravens lose out, I think it's going to come down to week 18 to decide whatever the heck happens in the AFC North. Elsewhere in the NFL, it was really like weekend of the blowouts. Um, Titans win by 20. Chiefs win by like 87 over the Raiders. No, they win by, what is it, 39. Saints win by more than 20. Uh, Seahawks win by 20. Broncos win by 28. Chargers won by 16. The Packers won by 15. It was all big to you. Finally, maybe in, in some corners of the NFL, starting to separate you know the top of the league from the bottom of the league. A lot of playoff teams playing very much not playoff teams. And then the game, what I think ended up being the game of the week, was Bucks hosting uh, the Bills, which early looked like it would be yet another blowout. With the Buccaneers going to a twenty-four to three halftime lead, but then the the Bills uh, making some plays, did some Josh Allen magic, beat up Josh Allen, running all over the place, throwing all over the place, send the game to overtime, and then the Bucks win by six with a sort of like the walk-off touchdown to oh gosh, walk-off touchdown from Tom Brady to let me check my notes here, Brashad Perriman, ex Ravens <laughs> first round draft pick, who. Uh, random raven gift that keeps on giving there 
Guys, what other games did you uh, did you watch or enjoy or, or laugh at this weekend? Well, that game... uh, sorry, go ahead. So, sorry, Jace. Just quickly, because I know you're going to have more uh, nuanced thoughts. Um, you mentioned all the blowouts. The Chiefs are good. Um, the Chiefs are back. The Chiefs are probably going to the Super Bowl. That's fun. Moving on from there, uh, here's another rule about a team that I think could also go to the Super Bowl. And, you know, I'm, I'm controversial comments and immunizations aside, maybe don't discount double check Rodgers in the first quarter oh when you sack gosh. him. <laughs> probably not a good idea, Robert Quinn. Just a thought. Um, the first half of Bears Packers was awesome. Justin Fields showing some stuff. And then Matt Nagy. God love him, had to go, quote, I'm having fun. I'm having so much fun, was his quote to uh, the sideline reporter as as they enter, as I think with either when they went into the halftime or came out. Not my team, not we got another half of football to play, just we're keeping this close against the Packers in Green Bay. I'm having fun. It ended 45-30, another cover for your boy, Thank, thanks very much. Four touchdowns from Aaron Rodgers. He had one to Aaron Jones, where he basically lofts it over a linebacker. Aaron Jones makes an, an unbelievable catch from a running back to um, a really good Sunday night cap. We've had some really good primetime games. As we record, we've got Cardinals-Rams tonight. So as I'm excited for that, I'm sure it'll end up being 6-3. But, <laughs> you know, some really good primetime stuff. Good for the Bears to kind of show out, but then completely crumble because, uh, as Aaron Rodgers told us earlier this year, he owns Chicago. I was glad the Packers came back because the last thing we needed, uh, we'll talk about in a minute, is Packers coming to Baltimore out of a loss. <laughs> uh, so I was glad they turned it on the second half there. But uh, yeah, for me, just the Bucks uh, bills game, Antonio, was the, the game I probably watched the most of and was the most fascinated by. It, it, you know, it was like, is Tom Brady's team going to really blow this lead? No. Uh, he's now 33-3 and against the Buffalo Bills in his career. Um, that's right. 33 and three against one team. Uh, Brady also in this game, um, set the NFL all-time completions record, uh, just before halftime. And he also in this game, the walk-off touchdown was his 700th touchdown in the NFL regular season and postseason combined. Um, I hate it, uh, from this aspect because Tom Brady's going to win the MVP, uh, this year. I think, <laughs> I think we're heading that way. He leads, uh, the NFL in, um, in touchdowns and yards and he's 44 years old and his team might be the number one seed in the nfc so tom brady's going to win the mvp uh just prepare yourselves now um because it's happening uh so that game was very fascinating i'm glad it turned interesting that and the bengals game kind of were going on simultaneously because it looked like we were going to have a full day of blowouts right it was 24 3 uh as you mentioned at the half of the bills game uh, and the, the the 49ers were up 20-6 to six entering the fourth quarter. And then we got two overtime games out of it. So it was a delightful final stretch. And then, as Tim mentioned, that just a bonkers second quarter especially. It was like an all-time record-setting like explosive, uh, quarter for explosiveness for both the Bears and the Packers. There was crazy punt return by the Bears, just long plays. It was great. It was a, it was a fun, you know, as far as the Packers kicking the Bears' uh, ass goes uh it was a fun it was a, it was a relatively fun uh version of that so yeah it was, it was a great day of football you know uh and benefited the ravens in many ways really only the chargers of the teams competing for a playoff spot were uh, with directly with the ravens were about the only team that won on sunday but you know dampened a little by the whole losing to the browns thing but it was a great football day overall i thought i have one thing that it comes from before sunday it actually comes on saturday 
that we do need to reference. If you haven't, if you're just a pod like a Raven listener, or you're just a Ravens listener, maybe or a Raven fan, excuse me, maybe not as tuned into the NFL. Let me take you to Duval County and Jacksonville, uh, Florida, where if you haven't heard, things are going so well for Urban <laughs> Meyer. Is First fine. of all, he's everything is fine. The oh, the dog meme with the coffee and the house just burning around him. Um, this comes from Mike Garofolo, I believe, of NFL Network. Yeah, who. Uh, just has he has a clip of this report that by the way this report coming from nfl.com the national football league's own website <laughs> where urban is basically telling people please get this out there i need to leave jacksonville as soon as possible and i quote from said report in the article during a staff meeting urban meyer delivered a biting message that he's a winner and his assistant coaches are losers according to several people informed of the contents of the meeting challenging each coach individually to explain when they've ever won and forcing them to defend their resumes. Now, a couple things here. Urban hired all of these assistant coaches, if not most of them, or had a say in bringing them into Duval County and Jacksonville and the Jaguars organization. There are multiple Super Bowl winners on his staff. Brian Schottenheimer aside, Multiple Super Bowl winners on his staff and Urban, who uh, has n- done nothing at the NFL level, is saying, quote, he's a winner and his assistant coaches are losers. I, I think Trevor Lawrence might be screwed, guys. I, I don't know if he's fixable. Um, and Urban Meyer has predictably, as we all predicted on this podcast, and we're running long. We don't need to dive into Jacksonville because it's a tire fire as it is. It's all going to hell. In, in Jacksonville, I'm, I feel bad for Jags fans, but look, when you hired Urban Meyer, who was excited? Well, Come on now. Well, Tim, the, that report comes out the next day. Antonio, you mentioned they won by, uh, the Titans won by 20. That's because the Jags scored zero points. It was 20 to nothing. They're shut out for the first time since 2009. Trevor Lawrence throws four interceptions in this game. It's just a disaster, and I, I, I agree. I think, I don't know if it's he resigns or they fire him, but I think there'll be a, quote, parting of ways with Urban Meyer after this season, if I had to guess, because cause I, I, you, can't, you can't ruin Trevor Lawrence like this. I think he's too talented to, to have the struggles he's, he's going through, and I think you have to just make a coaching change and find whatever, basically whatever, whoever Trevor Lawrence wants the coach to be is <laughs> you should hire the coach. That is, but, uh, yeah, it's a disaster. That's now. such a hostile work environment. Uh, first of all, <laughs> Tim, you know who else is a winner? Bill Cower. Bill Cower is a winner because he feels he just feels the wins in his bones, and he feel he know he senses it, and he knows. No, he feels them in his he chin. He doesn't want information. <laughs> Don't give him information. Just let him feel his way through the wins. All right, let's get off of the NFL uh, before I say things that I don't want to say. Uh, and we are now up with the random Raven. I have a guy this week, and I went into the vault a little bit here. Um, this is not a – well, I don't know. My co-hosts surprise me sometimes. Maybe this is a name that they're going to be very familiar with, but there's enough information here where hopefully uh, we're able to come up with uh, with who this guy is. So this random Raven signed as an undrafted free agent from the with the Baltimore Ravens and played in Baltimore for five seasons – from 2007 to 2011. While with the team, he played in 41 games, but had zero starts, as he was known as one of the team's best special teams contributors, playing both in the return game and coverage teams. 
he wore many numbers with the Ravens. I was going to say, my last clue was going to be, here's the guy's number. He wore many numbers with the Ravens, including 91, 50, 56, and 81. And he played many positions, including outside linebacker and defensive end. He recorded 22 tackles and one and a half sacks with the team. Now, for those, the astute listener, I know my co-hosts are all over this, but for the astute listener, one of those numbers was number 81. In 2008 and 2009, he also played snaps at tight end and recorded two catches for 33 yards, one catch in each of those seasons, and each catch was a first down for the Ravens. He finished his career. Move those chains. (laughs) Exactly. He finished his career, and I looked them up. This is so. This is like behind the curtain. Quickly, the re- we do research here. We actually do try to provide you with uh, a nicely packaged show. And when I saw that this player had two catches and was mostly a defensive player, I I wanted to love. Was, was this like fake punts? Like these special teams plays? So I dug through. The game logs of this player, I found when he had these two catches. I looked at the box score of the catches, and they were both real game scenarios where he was playing at tight end and had catches that converted first downs. He finished his career with a season in Kansas City and then one season in Dallas. And I have one more bonus clue, and I'm going to save that one for the end, I think. If you guys have any sense of this, I'll stop now. If you're if you're drawing major blanks, I'll add the bonus clue now. I have a small sense. I think Tim's farther along than me. I have a vague recollection of a a, a player wearing eighty one on defense, but <laughs> all right, all right. Then I'll, I'm, I'm going to save it for the end. I'm going to save yeah. it for the end. The listener, you're going to have to stick with us here to get that bonus clue and the answer to who this random raven is. But for now, we're going to turn to what may be a difficult preview here for for us on the show, and it's Ravens versus Packers at the bank. I guess, uh, what, 24 hours ago, this this preview would have been even more difficult because I was pretty much certain that Lamar Jackson was not going to be playing one week after suffering an ankle sprain. But apparently it is possible that he does come back. Harbaugh, a little cagey, you know, shockingly in the Monday press conference, but he did seem to lean in the direction that it's possible that Lamar plays on Sunday. This line for this game has moved all over the place today, obviously not knowing who the quarterback's going to be. With that news from Harbaugh, it moved from Packers by seven to Packers by five. So it's currently at Packers minus five in Baltimore. Guys, there's, we know most of the good and the bad at this point. There's not too much uh, analysis that we need to do about you know what's wrong with the Ravens offense. But as we start here with the Ravens offense versus the Packers defense, we had a good idea from, from Jace here as a, as a debate topic that we'll do. If Lamar, let's pretend that he's healthy enough to play. He's obviously not going to be 100% because he's got an ankle sprain. But if he's good enough to, you know, tough it out. A debate question, the the hot take question for the three of us. Should Lamar even bother to play in this game, given the Ravens' position, given that he has to, we would like him to get healthier, that he's going to have some sort of lingering effects is this a dangerous game for him to either bother playing or is it just 
give him an extra week to rest and have him play against the Bengals and, and the Steelers and the Rams? Should he even play in this game? Not at 100%. I'll go quick. Um, I say yes. Um, I think 80% and up, you know, maybe a little better than questionable or up, you, you play this game because it's the National Football League. The game isn't played on paper. You know, I can... It's not really a joke. I do legitimately believe the season's over, but they can't believe that. The Ravens can't believe that. John Harbaugh can't believe that. If your former MVP can go, he goes. And I think go is maybe not necessarily 100%, but it could be like an 80% or so. Um, you have to play him here in a game at home against the Packers. I, I I understand the reasoning. The reasoning being there's two division games left. You want to rest him for those games. Uh, you know, maybe not for the, the probably the hardest game left on a very hard schedule in the Green Bay Packers, who for my money are the best team in the National Football League. But and here comes my old old man football take. It's a coward's mentality um, to to not play him there. 80% on um, and you know anything more than that. If it's a game time decision thing. Maybe you just play Huntley and we all drink tons of bourbon to get through it. Um, but for me, no, I, I, I think you have to play him. I don't, I, don't, I don't necessarily think this is a debate if he is good enough to go. 425 kickoff, Tim. So a little better time slot for the, for the bourbon drinking than, than, a one, than a 1 p.m. game. I was going to start at 9 a.m. anyway because it's, you know, the season's over. <laughs> in that case, over, more time. So. More time for you to, uh, to yeah, put in the work. Right. Feel, feel good at kickoff. Um Feeling something. <laughs> I uh, so what made me think of this idea was I think you actually said Tim a week or two ago. I forget what show it was after, after which disappointing Ravens offensive performance. But it was along the line. You said something along the lines of this year has been bad for Lamar Jackson's development, and I kicked it around after he went down, and as I was pondering this game if he would come back and. I just, I worry so much about if you put a slightly hobbled Lamar Jackson behind this offensive line, um, he could just, like, he could get more hurt. Like, we saw last year with Joe Burrow, who we, we, I think, all have generally positive opinions on, despite him playing for the Bengals. He got beat to hell until the point where he tore his ACL, when he got hit so many times he couldn't withstand anymore. And I just, I worry about injuries with Lamar. I worry about him being hobbled or slightly injured impacting all the negative offensive traits we've seen in recent weeks um, from this team uh, when he's not able to bail them out with his legs or if he's not able to, to the same degree, obviously if he's like, I guess 90%, you gotta go. But um, if he's at like 75, I'd at least think about it because as we kind of have mentioned, um, uh, this season's got to come down to if basically the Ravens beat the Bengals or Steelers to get into the playoffs. They need one of those te- uh, games. The Packers being an NFC team, this does not factor into tiebreakers nearly as much, um, even though obviously a win over the Packers would be huge. Um, just to get another victory period would be great for the Ravens um, to kind of stop the slide they've been on. But it, I imagine he'll play, but it is something I'm just worried about with the lack of practice time and where the offense has been and just putting him in a situation where he can get more hurt behind what is clearly just an awful offensive line and a good Packers team. And so it was just something I was thinking about um, that maybe it wouldn't be the worst idea to put him on the shelf uh, for a week until he's fully healed up. But 
It's also possible, you know, as Antonio, you mentioned, ankle injuries, even if this is of the low variety, could linger and linger and linger, especially when you're running on your foot. Um, so, so I don't know what's the right solution. It's just obviously something to be worried about because Lamar's health is more important than uh, long-term health is more important than this one game, I would say. Tim, as you've said, the season is over, so I don't know. I think John Harbaugh is certainly in a point. Eric DaCosta, um, in terms of job security, probably a little less so than John Harbaugh, but still um, still have job security, and they, play, they uh, work for an owner who I think can see the forest through the trees, so to speak, and uh, is willing to not jeopardize their long-term future over an immediate goal uh, in gains such as just making the playoffs for this season when your team's super beat up. So, I don't know. I, I could see... I, I won't be shocked if Lamar doesn't play in this game, but... Um, and, and if I was making the call, if he's not 100%, I don't think I would, but I, I won't be surprised if he's out there. He is a pretty tough guy um, for all the, you know, hits he takes and stuff, and he, he's missed very little time to this point in his career, so... Hopefully he's out there. Uh, certainly will give the Ravens a lot better chance to beat the Packers than if he's not. Yeah, Jace, I think I'm. I think I lean more to to your point on this. He's not going to be 100. percent That's impossible. So he's going to be at something between 60 and 81. <laughs> you know, for some. This is like the deep analytics that we don't really want to get into. But if he cannot run, if he cannot cut as well as he can even if you know he's limited in his ability to scramble and cut i have no desire in watching him get demolished play after play uh i have a hunch he's going to be in that like 70 percent range and he is going to play and my prediction final prediction for this game he starts the game and he does not finish the game and that is something that i don't like to say but he's going to start He's going to have adrenaline. He's going to get hit once or twice. He's going to roll over and re-sort of aggravate it and then have to come off the game. And I'm I'm going to hate it and I'm going to be angry, but that's sort of how I see this going for him. They're a game up in the division. That means you guarantee yourself a home playoff game. The teams behind you, the Browns, play the Raiders and then the Packers in the next two weeks. The Bengals, if I'm correct, I'm going to try to pull this up quickly, the Bengals have the Broncos, the Ravens, and the Chiefs. So there are things here where you're not going to lose the division with a loss to the Packers. You will lose your division if your quarterback gets hurt and cannot play for the rest of the season. I'd almost rather have Huntley out there, try your best, take your lumps, try to figure some fun things out offensively, and then come back in two weeks and try to beat the Bengals and re- you will immediately reestablish first place in the AFC North, basically, if you are able to beat the Bengals in two weeks. So I'm very afraid. The Packers' defense is not great. They have some pass rushers who can get some things done. With the, is it the uh, with the Smith brothers, right? Is that what they... Uh... Yeah, I believe Zadarius just came back either last game or the game before. Uh, he'd been out most of the season with a back injury. But he, he's back. Kenny Clark's big in the middle. There's concerns. Rashawn Gary is also another pass rusher. They have three. I'm concerned. <laughs> um, I'm concerned about that specific, specifically regarding to how bad this offensive line is for the Ravens. So I have uh, I have some fears, and and I would rather he didn't play in this game, but I think he will uh, because he is a gamer and he is 
going to try his best. Defensively for the Ravens. Uh, oh, boy. It's the Ravens secondary <laughs> against Aaron Rodgers. You know what? I'm just going to skip that point. I'm going to go to the third point that is really tied into this. What is the script for a Ravens win in this game? The Packers are basically a touchdown favorite. They've been hot most of the season. They have 10 wins. Uh, Aaron Rodgers has looked fantastic. They have a bunch of weapons offensively, and when one gets hurt, they sub somebody else in, and Rodgers makes them look amazing. The Ravens' offense is what the Ravens' offense is. So I'm going to ask you guys, what needs to happen, realistically, for this team to have a chance to either, you know, have the ball down less than a score late or for them to win this game outright? Uh, The Rodgers' toe injury is way worse than we think. Um, Jair Alexander, excuse me, does not come back. There's a question about him, one of the best corners in the league. Greg Roman tries something different. And Rodgers has a bit of an off day. You know, he is can be up and down sometimes. And that being said, last couple weeks, they've scored 45 points, 38 points, 31 points, 17 points. Uh, there was the Jordan Love game. And then before that, 24, 24, 24, 25, 27, 30, and 35. Um, they scored three week one. But their offense is, is a machine. Their defense is great. Their defense regresses to what old Packers defenses were. Aaron Rodgers is a typically un-Aaron Rodgers game. And maybe the Ravens win on a 65-yard field goal. All that being said, I don't see it happening. Yeah, I think Tim nailed it. Uh, Rodgers did say uh, that he had a setback with his fractured toe, which is, just as an aside, very unclear when he broke this toe. It seems like it may have happened like the week he was out with COVID, (laughs) potentially, or at least maybe in that first game back. It, it, It hasn't really been pinpointed exactly, but... He seemed to indicate things got worse, but he certainly didn't show it on Sunday night when he was just rolling in the second half. And uh, yeah, I think he basically has to be injured because I, I, what is stopping him to Devonte Adams with what the Ravens have going on in the defensive backfield? I, I just don't see it. Um, and uh, yeah, Tim mentioned Jair Alexander might be back. I did misspoke, uh, misspeak earlier. Zadarius Smith still out, but Jair Alexander kind of, if he's back, that's kind of kind of washes those two things out so um yeah uh it's hard to see the path for a ravens win in this the the packers are as tim said i think if not the best team in the nfl certainly one of the three best teams in the nfl and the ravens are playing their worst football of the season uh in the last month so uh yeah i think basically the path to victory for the ravens this game is if rogers is more hurt than we think and the because he probably he probably won't practice much he only practiced friday for like the first time since breaking his toe leading into this game so he probably won't practice all week but it doesn't matter for aaron Rodgers because he's a 38 year old hall of fame quarterback (laughs) he can just kind of roll out into the field on game days and do his thing um so hope me the the path is if not practicing catches up to him but i i just don't think it will given the raven's own defensive limitations Preston Smith is the name that I couldn't remember. The other Smith is is Preston, who has seven sacks uh, this season through what twelve games. So yeah, they're they're leading sack man. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, matchup wise, it's a disaster. It's about as much of a disaster as it could be with the timing of the Ravens' secondary injuries going against Aaron Rodgers. 
and what is this Ravens offensive line versus what the Packers do well. So, with that. Well, and not even just. <laughs> do competently? Who's tackling A.J. Dillon? Like, that's another thought I've had. It just, there's so many, Aaron Jones is going to break loose. There's just, it's just a disaster, Antonio. It's, I have so many concerns. Yeah. So with that, uh, <laughs> we're going to turn to the game. A small news, actually. Uh, the Ravens signed Tony Jefferson today to the practice squad because that's the state of the Ravens secondary, is that they signed a guy who, I loved him when he was on the Ravens, has not played in the NFL for seasons, plural. So he is G added to the practice squad. Not sure if or when we will see him uh, on the Ravens game day roster. But a fun, uh, sort of a fun callback, uh, Tony Jefferson. Getting back to this game, I, oh boy, I think all three of us are going to agree with this one. But uh, I'm going to take the Ravens at minus, um, excuse me, I'm going to take the Packers at minus five. Uh, see, that's just my, uh, Tim, that's my optimistic spirit. Just trying to jump in in front of me and make decisions for me. I'm going to take the Packers at minus five. They probably win this by multiple touchdowns, and it's not good. The line at five now is actually something to jump on, I think, if you are interested in betting, you know, for the Packers in this game, because it's possible that as more and more news comes out that Lamar Jackson is playing on Sunday, that line might move a little bit. So it's Packers. Minus five. I don't like it, but it's absolutely going to happen. Happen. Uh, last week for gambling picks, I went th- the old 3-0 and with one push. And, of course, the game I didn't win was the Ravens game. <laughs> I took the Browns. I don't like picking against the Ravens. I took the Browns at minus two. And, of course, the Ravens came all the way back without winning. So that's a push. Uh, so I have yet to... Still cannot win a Ravens pick, but elsewhere, 3-0, and getting the uh, the Pats game from the Bills from the previous Monday night, which we were not able to recap, obviously, as we record on Mondays, uh, and then 2-0 and from Sunday. So 3-0 and overall. So we got a little bit of a run going. Uh, that is going to continue with the Packers covering a minus 5. I'm also taking the Tennessee Titans minus 2 at Pittsburgh. Call me not a believer in the Steelers. The Titans got right after their bye. They're riding high. They're a winning football team. The Steelers are not. I don't really mind this game being in Pittsburgh. I think less than a field goal is, is really attractive for Tennessee there. And then I'm bringing back the tees. Had some success as we get to the uh, the last quarter of the NFL season here with the teases, so I'm bringing this back. Three teams, six-point tees. The Dallas Cowboys. I'm moving their line down to minus four and a half at the New York Giants. Again, the Cowboys are a good playoff football team. The Giants are none of those things. Arizona, I'm moving their line down to minus 7.5 at the Detroit Lions. Speaks for itself. Not concerned with the Lions. And then Tampa Bay, I'm moving that line down to minus 5.5 against the Saints. The Saints, a nice win against the Jets. They are still a sub-500 football team with their, I don't know, third option playing quarterback against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who have really offensively started to put things together the last few weeks, and I think that moved line to less than a touchdown is very intriguing. So Cowboys, Cardinals, Buccaneers, three team tees. Let's ride. I am also picking the Green Bay Packers to cover minus five uh, in Baltimore. As we said, just too many things lining up against the Ravens in this one, especially the health of Lamar Jackson, chief among them. 
Um, the other uh, picks, I'm, I'm picking Thursday night football. Chiefs minus four at the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, the Chiefs fans famously overwhelm the Chargers stadium since they've moved to L.A. And uh, the Chiefs have ripped off six straight wins. I believe, Tim, you mentioned they're back. Um, they haven't given up 17 points in these six straight wins. The Chiefs' defense is playing really well. Patrick Mahomes is making the plays you expect Patrick Mahomes to make. Uh, and the Chiefs, I think, are um, solidifying themselves to probably snag that top seed in the AFC and possibly be the, the number one team in the AFC once again. They, uh, uh, they've been playing really well. Um, they need this win. I know it's a short week and minus four points on the road, but it's going to basically be a home game and they've been playing so well and they need this win. Uh, the Chargers beat the Chiefs earlier this season and it's kind of a revenge spot and will really go a long way for the Chiefs to win the AFC West. So I'm going with the Chiefs there. Uh, and then the other pick I'm going with is the New England Patriots are two point underdogs against the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, this is a Saturday game. We have those now um, with the college football season now completely over with army Navy having been played on Saturday. Um, so we uh, we have Saturday NFL games, and so uh, both these teams coming off their bye, but uh, you're telling me Bill Belichick off a bye against Carson Wentz is a two point underdog? Like I I I just I just you know it's call me shocking. crazy. Yeah, I like the Pats in this spot, and, not, and I'm not even a Mac Jones or really even I'm a Patriots believer to a point. I think they do a lot of things well, but like I don't believe in Mac Jones. I think he's he's fine, but. Yeah, uh, Bill, Bill Belichick should not be an underdog to a Carson Wentz team, just on principle. So uh, the pick is the Patriots uh, plus two to round out my week. Yeah, on that, I'm with you. It's, it seems stinky. Um, seems like a rat line, but almost too good to take. And then we'll be talking about how Jonathan Taylor rushed for <laughs> yeah, you know, yards. 250 <laughs> yards or whatever it is. Um, last week, I won everything that I mentioned. Uh, well, not Cleveland. Pushed the Cleveland bet, like we mentioned. One Atlanta, one Tennessee, one Green Bay, uh, one San Francisco. I was also on the pack or the Patriots on that Monday with Antonio that he mentioned. Um, so I, this week, like I said, with New England with Jace, Green Bay minus five, minus seven, minus ten, minus fourteen. I think this is going to be a bloodbath. Um, and then I. I didn't love a ton of stuff here. I, I wanted to maybe look at the Chiefs. Uh, the, the Tennessee one was interesting. Um, but for me, I'm going Buffalo minus 10.5 at home to Carolina. And part of this is Buffalo needs a win. Um, I think they kind of got a little bit of get right after, you know, it could have been a nasty, nasty blowout in Tampa. Ended up not being that. Uh, they got a little bit of confidence back in the second half, but still got the loss. So they need a win here. And Carolina, I mean, I don't know what's going on there. They, they got rid of Joe Brady. They're now playing Cam Newton and P.J. Walker and said that they are going to continue to platoon their quarterbacks, which just does not work uh, in the National Football League. So I think Buffalo, this is a 1 o'clock game where Buffalo is up by 17 in early in the second quarter, and they don't give it away. So Green Bay minus 5, New England plus 2, Buffalo minus 10.5. Yeah, Tim, I was going to say, that's a game, the Bills game. They either win by 30 or they just lose to Carol as this right. season has gone. They lose to nine, Carolina six. at home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think you'd certainly believe the blowout more so. So I like that pick. Uh, all right. The last thing to do here is go over this random Raven one more time. This random Raven signed as an undrafted free agent by the Ravens and played in Baltimore for five seasons from 2007 to 2011. While with the team, he played in 41 games but had zero starts 
as he was known as one of the team's best special teams contributors, playing both in the return game and coverage teams. He wore many numbers with the Ravens, 91, 50, 56, and 81, and also played many positions, outside linebacker and defensive end among them. He recorded 22 tackles and one and a half sacks with the team. In 2008 and 2009, he even played snaps at tight end and recorded two catches for 33 yards and moved those chains on both of those catches. He finished his career with a season in Kansas City and one in Dallas. And the bonus clue, although he shares a last name with another former random raven, they are not related, although it is slightly confusing because that other former random raven does have a brother in the NFL. So that was a little wordy there, but this random raven that we're doing now shares a last name with another former random raven who did, does, I should say, have a brother in the NFL. So that's really like, just a clue to maybe currently? help you out with the last name there. Like his brother's currently in the NFL? The other random raven's <laughs> brother is currently in the NFL, and they share a last name with the current random raven that I'm doing right now. So I turn to Oh man, I'm on this. I turn to you guys now. It looks like Tim, man, yeah, might be got, Tim. Tim has to be up here. Yeah, I think Tim's got I got nothing. I, my guess was like Daniel Wilcox, but I think he only played tight end, so I'm pretty sure this rave, random raven is Edgar Jones. Edgar Jones is correct. That oh, is wow. this Edgar Jones. Random <laughs> That's a raven. <laughs> what a pull. From East Coast correspondent Tim Horsey. I don't know if I'm excited or disappointed in myself. <laughs> Two catches for number 81 <laughs> in 2008 and 2009. Edgar Jones. Yeah. That's like the first time I've thought of him in years. I was convinced as I was doing him that he was brothers with Arthur Jones, who is who we had done earlier in the, I don't know if it was this year or last year, uh, with Random Ravens. But they are not brothers. However, he is, Arthur Jones is brothers with Chandler Jones. Uh, and like John Jones, like the UFC fighter. Yeah, Bo- Bones Jones. That's himself. right. Yeah. So just the, the Jones connection there, but not related in this instance. So that is my random raven. Well done, Tim. Uh, guys, any final thoughts here? Final prayers? Uh, a little Hail Mary in football <laughs> parlance before we uh, attack the Green Bay Packers this weekend? Yeah, prayers up for Lamar's ankle. <laughs> prayers up for Lamar's ankle. That's going to do it for us. For Jace Evans and Tim Horsey, I am Antonio Barbera. Thank you for listening to us, as always, on Pod Like a Raven. We will see you next week. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.